The French Revolution, A History, by Thomas Carlyle, Volume 2, The Constitution, Book 4, Varenne, Chapter 9, Sharp Shot. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by Peter Dan. Book 4, Chapter 9, Sharp Shot. In regard to all which, this most pressing question arises, what is to be done with it? Depose it, resolutely answer Robespierre and the thoroughgoing few. For truly, with a king who runs away and needs to be watched in his very bedroom that he may stay and govern you, what other reasonable thing can be done? Had Philippe d'Orléans not been a caput mortuum? But of him, known as one defunct, no man now dreams. Depose it not, say that it is inviolable, that it was spirited away, was enlevé, at any cost of sophistry and solecism, re-establish it. So answer with loud vehemence all manner of constitutional royalists, as all your pure royalists do naturally likewise, with low vehemence and rage compressed by fear, still more passionately answer. Nay, Barnave and the two Lameths, and what will follow them, do likewise answer so. Answer with their whole might, terror-struck at the unknown, abysses on the verge of which, driven thither by themselves mainly, all now reels ready to plunge. By mighty effort and combination, this latter course, of re-establish it, is the course fixed on, and it shall, by the strong arm, if not by the clearest logic, be made good. With the sacrifice of all their hard-earned popularity, this notable triumvirate, says Toulon-Gion, set the throne up again, which they had so toiled to overturn, as one might set up an overturned pyramid on its vertex to stand so long as it is held. Unhappy France, unhappy in king, queen and constitution, one knows not in which unhappiest. Was the meaning of our so glorious French Revolution this, and no other, that when shams and delusions, long soul-killing, had become body-killing and got the length of bankruptcy and inanition, a great people rose and with one voice said in the name of the highest, Sham shall be no more. So many sorrows and bloody horrors, endured and to be yet endured through dismal coming centuries, were they not the heavy price paid and payable for this same total destruction of shams from among men? And now, O Barnav triumvirate, is it in such double distilled delusion and sham even of a sham that an effort of this kind will rest acquiescent? Messieurs of the popular triumvirate, never! But after all, what can poor popular triumvirates and fallible august senators do? They can, when the truth is all too horrible, stick their heads ostrich-like into what sheltering fallacy is nearest and wait there a posteriori. Readers who saw the Clermontais and three bishoprics gallop in the night of spurs, diligences ruffling up all France into one terrific, terrified cock of India, and the town of Nantes in its shirt, may fancy what an affair to settle this was. Robespierre on the extreme left, with perhaps Pétion and Lino Goupil, for the very triumvirate has defolcated, a shrieking horse drowned in constitutional clamour. 
but the debate and arguing of a whole nation, the bellowings through all journals, for and against, the reverberant voice of Danton, the Hyperion shafts of Camilla, the porcupine quills of implacable Marat, conceive all this. Constitutionalists in a body, as we often predicted, do now recede from the mother society and become foyons, threatening her with inanition, the rank and respectability being mostly gone. Petition after petition, forwarded by post or born in deputation, comes praying for judgment and déchéance, which is our name for deposition, praying at lowest for reference to the 83 departments of France. Hot Marseille deputation comes declaring, amongst other things, our Phocian ancestors flung a bar of iron into the bay at their first landing. This bar will float again on the Mediterranean brine before we consent to be slaves. All this for four weeks or more, while the matter still hangs doubtful. Emigration streaming with double violence over the frontiers, France seething in fierce agitation of this question and prize question, what is to be done with the fugitive hereditary representative? Finally, on Friday the 15th of July, 1791, the National Assembly decides in what negatory manner we know. Whereupon the theatres all close, the bourne stones and portable chairs begin spouting, municipal placards flaming on the walls, and proclamations published by sound of trumpet invite to repose with small effect. And so on Sunday the 17th there shall be a thing seen worthy of remembering. Scroll of a petition, drawn up by Brissot, Danton, by Cordelias, Jacobins, for the thing was infinitely shaken and manipulated, and many had a hand in it. Such scroll lies now visible on the wooden framework of the Fatherland's altar for signature. Unworking Paris, male and female, is crowding thither all day to sign or to see. Our fair Roland herself, the eye of history, can discern there in the morning, not without interest. In few weeks the fair patriot will quit Paris, yet perhaps only to return. But what with sorrow of balked patriotism, what with closed theatres and proclamations still publishing themselves by sound of trumpet, the fervour of men's minds this day is great. Nay, over and above, there has fallen out an incident of the nature of fast tragedy and riddle, enough to stimulate all creatures. Early in the day, a patriot, or some say it was a patriotess, and indeed truth is undiscoverable, while standing on the firm deal-board of Fatherland's altar, feels suddenly, with indescribable torpedo shock of amazement, his boot-sole pricked through from below. He clutches up suddenly this electrified boot-sole and foot, discerns next instant the point of a gimlet or bradle playing up through the firm deal-board and now hastily drawing itself back. A mystery? Perhaps treason? The wooden framework is impetuously broken up, and behold, verily a mystery never explicable fully to the end of the world— Two human individuals of mean aspect, one of them with a wooden leg, lie ensconced there, gimlet in hand. They must have come in overnight. They have a supply of provisions. No barrel of gunpowder that one can see. They affect to be asleep, look blank enough, and give the lamest account of themselves. Mere curiosity, they were boring up to get an eye-hole, to see, perhaps, with lubricity, whatever from that new point of vision could be seen little that was edifying, one would think. 
But indeed, what stupidest thing may not human dullness, pruriency, lubricity, chance and the devil, choosing two out of half a million idle human heads, tempt them to? Sure enough, the two human individuals with their gimlets are their ill-starred pair of individuals, for the result of it all is that patriotism, fretting itself in this state of nervous excitability, with hypotheses, suspicions and reports, keeps questioning these two distracted human individuals, and again questioning them, claps them into the nearest guardhouse, clutches them out again, one hypothetic group snatching them from another, till finally, in such extreme state of nervous excitability, patriotism hangs them as spies of Sieur Motier, and the life and secret is choked out of them forevermore. Forevermore, alas, or is a day to be looked for when these two evidently mean individuals, who are human nevertheless, will become historical riddles, and like him of the Iron Mask, also a human individual and evidently nothing more, have their dissertations. To us this only is certain, that they had a gimlet, provisions, and a wooden leg and have died there on the lantern, as the unluckiest fools might die. And so the signature goes on in a still more excited manner. And Chaumette, for antiquarians possess the very paper to this hour, has signed himself in a flowing saucy hand slightly leaned, an Hébert detestable père de chaine, as if an inked spider had dropped on the paper. Ashamayah had also signed, and many crosses which cannot write. And Paris, through its thousand avenues, is welling to the Champ de Mars, and from it, in the utmost excitability of humour, central fatherland's altar, quite heaped with signing patriots and patriotesses, and thirty benches and whole internal spaces crowded with onlookers, with comers and goers, one regurgitating whirlpool of men and women in their Sunday clothes or which a constitutional Sieur Motier sees, and Bailly, looking into it with his long visage, made still longer. Auguring no good. Perhaps déchéance and deposition after all. Stop it, ye constitutional patriots. Fire itself is quenchable, yet only quenchable at first. Stop it, truly, but how stop it? Have not the first free people of the universe a right to petition? Happily, if also unhappily, here is one proof of riot. These two human individuals hanged at the lantern. Proof, O treacherous Sieur Motier? Were they not two human individuals sent thither by thee to be hanged, to be a pretext for thy bloody drapeau rouge? This question shall many a patriot one day ask, and answer affirmatively, strong in preternatural suspicion. Enough. Towards half-past seven in the evening, the mere natural eye can behold this thing, Sieur Motier, with municipals in scarf, with blue national patrolatism, rank after rank, to the clang of drums, wending resolutely to the Champ de Mars. Mayor Bailly, with elongated visage, bearing, as in sad duty bound, the drapeau rouge. Howl of angry derision rises in treble and bass from a hundred thousand throats at the sight of martial law, which nevertheless waving its red sanguinary flag, advances there from the Gros Caillot entrance, advances drumming and waving towards altar of fatherland. 
amid still wilder howls, with objurgation, obtestation, with flights of pebbles and mud, saxa et faces, with crackle of a pistol shot, finally with volley fire of patrolatism, levelled muskets, roll of volley on volley. Precisely after one year and three days, our sublime Federation field is wetted in this manner with French blood. Some twelve unfortunately shot, reports by ye, counting by units. But patriotism counts by tens and even by hundreds. Not to be forgotten or forgiven. Patriotism flies, shrieking, execrating. Camilla ceases journalising. This day, Great Danton with Camilla and Freyron have taken wing for their life. Mara burrows deep in the earth and is silent. Once more, patrolatism has triumphed one other time, but it is the last. This was the royal flight to Varennes. Thus was the throne overturned thereby, but thus also was it victoriously set up again on its vertex and will stand while it can be held. End of Book 4, Chapter 9